Hi, this is Pastor Leanne at Southern Heights Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, a year and a half ago, I started recording my sermons on my cell phone while I was preaching, and then I would edit from the voice recorder function on my phone and then upload it to the feed. The quality was okay, I guess, but at the same time, that process was what I had at my disposal. About a year ago, that process did become a bit tedious, and it became increasingly difficult to update the podcast with any consistency. And so this podcast became a bit abandoned. I apologize for that. Recently, however, I've been able to upgrade some of my hardware as well as some of the software, and I think you'll agree, as you listen, the quality is much, much better and much easier to listen to. So, starting with the posting of last week's sermon, we will be bringing you each week's Sunday sermon on the following Monday, complete with the scripture readings that accompany the sermon. I hope that you enjoy. Please, if you have any thoughts or comments, email me at southernheightspresbyterian at gmail.com. With peace and love, let us now go to the message. Our prayer for illumination tells us the spirit of truth, breath of life, as the word is read and proclaimed. Teach us what we need to know. Inspire us. Breathe in and through us. Lead us with your fiery presence so that we may follow you without fear. Amen. The Old Testament lesson this morning is taken from 1 Kings, chapter 21, verses 1 through 21. It's found in the Bible, uh, or in your pew Bibles, um, on page uh, something, 286. It's going to be read a little differently, but the message is the same. This uh, is from Kings, 1 Kings, as I said, 21. Uh, it starts just a little before that because King Ahab is, uh, has been, is a very petulant king and uh, pouts a lot. And so uh, when things don't go his way, he's not real happy. And so things had not been going his way. And so he was very unhappy and he uh, was kind of reclining in the castle and try, trying to think of something, I guess, that could make him happy. And he spots the vineyard of Nahab, which is close to the castle. And so that is where we begin when we are talking about Nahab's vineyard. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Nahab. He was a Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is so close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Nahab had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. 
His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in another place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel said, Is this how you act as a king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Noab, or Noboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting, and seat Naboth, or Naboth, we have both terms, in a prominent place. And then seat two scoundrels opposite of him, and then have them testify that he has cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed them in the letter that she had written. They proclaimed a fast, and they seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then the two scoundrels came, and they sat opposite him. And then they did what she said. They brought charges against him. They said to the people, he has cursed both God and the king. So what did they do? They took him outside the, law, the walls, and they stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned, and he is now dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive. He's dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and he went down and he took possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man, and you've seized his property? Then say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, you. Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I am going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. This ends the Old Testament lesson for today. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians. 
And we will be reading in chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, and this can be found on page 946 in your pew Bible. We ourselves by Jews, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord spoken for you. Thanks be to God. Will you join me again in prayer? Gracious and loving God, as we take a moment to reflect upon the word that you have given us, pray that we may hear your word for us. Guide us in our lives, guide us in our living and in our very being, that we may seek to serve and follow you in all things. We pray all these things in your Son's name that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. This morning before worship, Marge met with me in the office really quick, and one of the first things that she said to me is, we don't often read from First Kings for worship. And it's true, we don't often read uh, from First or Second Kings um, or even the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles in, in the course of our worship services. You don't often find them in the lectionary. And part of the reason, as we've talked about before, is sometimes these stories are just hard for us to take a look at and, and read and say, okay, so what's God saying to us in this, in a, in this today? Is it simply the recitation of a history? The story of something that happened long ago on the way to where the Israelites were going in the end? Or is there something more here? Is there a lesson for us to learn and is God speaking through scripture to us in our lives today? Now I am one who believes firmly that through the Holy Spirit the scripture becomes alive for us and the voice of God speaks to us through the word as it is presented and that there is always something that God is trying to tell us when we read and hear the words of scripture even when it's a difficult text such as this one. So this morning I'd like to invite you into the story of Ahab and Naboth to seek God's understanding, to seek God's guidance in who we are to be and how we are to live in the world. The story starts out with Ahab declaring that he wants a vegetable garden. He wants a place where he can go out and putter 
and plant and grow some veggies. And it's interesting that Ahab didn't want just any plot of land for his vegetable garden. He wanted a very specific plot of land. He wanted Naboth's land, this vineyard that Naboth had. Why that particular land? Was it particularly fertile? Probably not. Any land in that general region would have been quite as fertile as the rest, and that area was known for the ability to grow things well. So it wasn't that Naboth's land was more fertile than any other land surrounding the palace. And speaking of that, is it simply because it was close to the palace? And so it was the best land possible for the king to have his vegetable garden? Well, unless they had stupidly built the palace in the center of somebody's lands, completely surrounded by somebody's land, it wasn't going to be the only place where Ahab could have planted his garden. And so the question remains, why? Why this particular vineyard? Ahab himself says that he has other vineyards, he has other land, he has other good fertile land that he'd be willing to trade Naboth for. So why Naboth's land for his garden? I can't help but think that maybe it wasn't a garden at all that Ahab wanted. Maybe it was something that was more intangible that he was looking for. Marge and I are often on the same wavelength. And uh, she had no idea that I had this written down, but um, when she was doing the introduction to the text, she talked about how he looked out his window and he saw Naboth working in his vineyard. And he wanted that land. And I think that somehow that's what happened. That Ahab was in his palace and he was surrounded by all the things that he had, the wealth and the power and the influence and everything that he had in his life. And he looked out that window where he stood outside the palace and he saw Naboth laboring in his vineyard. And he saw perhaps a man who was happy. Yes, Ahab had all the wealth and he was the most powerful man in the area. And yet this man who was poor and a commoner, he was content with his life. He'd go out in the early morning and work and tend those plants. He'd go out in the fall and pick the grapes. And he was happy. Maybe it was because he didn't have the pressures of leading an entire kingdom. But Ahab looked out, and perhaps he saw what Naboth had, and he wanted that. He had other land to plant a garden. He had other land that was in proximity to the palace where he could have planted a garden. He had the money to buy what he needed to plant his garden. But he wanted Naboth's land because Naboth was happy there. I, didn't think, I don't think that he really wanted a garden. He wanted the image that he had of himself as he looked at Naboth, of himself working that land. 
and being happy. He wanted the dream. He wanted the image. He wanted that intangible happiness that he saw. I think that this is something that we can all relate to in our lives because we have all had things that we don't really want, we don't really have a need for until we see somebody else who has it. And the possession of something, by that, of that something by someone else, tends to increase its value for us, especially if that person has something that we desire or that we covet in our own lives, other than that particular thing. So we look at the person who has power or influence or respect or desirability or happiness, and we see the things, the stuff that they have, and we look at them and we say, if only we had that stuff, if only I had that purse, if only I had those shoes, if only I had that phone, if only I had that house, that particular house that I lived in, then I could have that life. Quite frankly, it's why celebrity endorsements of goods are so valuable to companies, why companies will pay millions of dollars to a celebrity to post a picture of themselves with a product on Instagram saying, I totally love this thing now. Because it gets shared and it's shared and it's shared and people want that thing because they want the life of that celebrity. Because you're not buying the product so much as you're buying the image. You're not buying the thing so much as you're buying the dream. The idea of glamour or power or beauty or happiness. Sometimes we think that if we just have what those people have, then we will have what they have. If I can just get the right things and surround myself with the right stuff, then I will have that joy in my life. If I have the right suit, then I will have the power and the influence in my job. If I have the right house, live in the right neighborhood, then I will have the respect of my neighbors. That's why Ahab pouts. I love this image of a king acting like a petulant child. He stamps his foot and he goes to his room. I'm not going to eat. Turns his face to the wall. Naboth won't give me his vineyard. I really want it. All he wanted was to have that vegetable garden. That's all he wanted. That would make him happy. And Naboth wouldn't give it to him. And Naboth was so selfish keeping that happiness for himself. And he pouts and refuses to eat until he gets what he wants. And in the end, you have to wonder, could it possibly have really made him happy? Jezebel was all for making sure he got that land. She didn't want to see her husband unhappy. She didn't want to see him crabby. She didn't want to see him laying with his face against the wall, refusing to eat. He was the leader of Israel. He was the most powerful man in the land. He should be out there working that 
vegetable garden like the king that he is. And so she makes arrangements for him to get what he wants. Way back in the book of Exodus, as the people are leaving Egypt, they stop on their way to the promised land and Moses Moses goes up the mountain and he comes down with the Ten Commandments, the rules and the laws of living for the people of God. God says, if you are going to be my people, this is the way that I would have you live. And one of those laws, one of those ten basic rules for living as the people of God is do not covenant, covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's whatever. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's animals, thy neighbor's property, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's children. And it's not so much the wanting. God understands that we can look at what other people have and say, gosh, I'd like to have something like that. Look at your neighbor's house and say, they have a nice house. I'd like a house like that someday. It's in the coveting. The yearning to have so badly that it affects every other aspect of your life. That is where the sin lies. It's not in the wanting, it's in the doing something about it in a way that damages your life and the lives of the people around you. It's in the sin of of coveting is not in the wanting, it's the not taking care of what you or what or who you already have in your lives because it's not good enough. It's in the lack of stewardship of what we have because it's not what we want. And it doesn't matter if I wreck this car, it's not a good enough car anyway. I'm waiting for my Mustang. It's not in the wanting of what others have. The sin is in the actively trying to take that what belongs to another, even to the point of force. Ahab's sin was not in wanting a vegetable garden. It wasn't in the dreaming of himself walking the same paths of Naboth. It was not in wanting the dream of the happiness that he could see. It was in that he allowed that to take over his life so much that nothing else would do. To the point that he was going along with Jezebel's crazy plan to have the man murdered so that Naboth could have that land. And in doing so, he sinned against Naboth and against God. So, of course, Elijah hears that this has happened. And he comes running to let, Naboth, to let Ahab know how badly he has failed. 
But beyond Elijah's curse upon Ahab, which if you read a little bit further, God said, Ahab hears what Elijah has to say, and he rends his clothes, and he covers himself in ash and sackcloth, and, and he uh, repents of his actions, and so God says, since he has repented, I will not have this come upon him. There is forgiveness there. But as I stated before, I have to wonder that even if Elijah had never shown up, would Ahab ever have really been satisfied with that vegetable garden? Or would there have always been a sense of, it's not what I thought it would have been. I thought it would have been so much nicer. This is harder than I thought. Why aren't I happy? I can't imagine that that garden never would have lived up to the dream that he had when he stood at his window or outside the palace walls and looked out and dreamed of a day that he could walk the paths of the garden with the sun beating on his shoulders and be at peace. Because it never does, does it? It never lives up to the image. It never lives up to the dream. The grass, once you get to the other side of the fence, is never as green as it is in your dreams. It's just grass. And you gotta mow it and water it. And it's no better than the grass you already had. This goes for so much in life. We want what we can't have. And we seek after ideas and dreams and concepts to make us happy and to fulfill us because so often we have a hole that's in our lives, we have a hole that's in our hearts. There are places in our lives where we are empty and we are seeking to fill our lives with something, to give us that something that we're searching for. That peace, that joy, that satisfaction, we are seeking for it in our lives. And so we look and we see, as, as I said, we look and we see these things that other people have and we think, if we just had that, if we just had that, then, then life would be good. But that hole is like a black hole. It eats whatever we put into it, and it's never enough because we are never fully satisfied. And so that hole seemingly gets bigger because we have to keep feeding it more and more and more. That wasn't the answer, so I'll try this. I'll get this thing because it makes this person over here happy. That didn't seem to work, so I will fight and I will, I will be the nastiest person at work so that I can get the promotion over the other guy, so that I can get the money, so I can get that house and that Mustang and, and everything that I've ever wanted. And we get those things. And if we do it in a way that is filled with that coveting, the not taking care of what we have, not being thankful for what we have, not, not being good stewards of what we have, not caring for those whom we have, or actively trying to take something that belongs to another person. The promises end up being hollow. And we are never fulfilled. Ahab would have experienced that and all of us 
experience that in our lives. We turn to the things to give us identity and purpose and meaning. We turn to the things for the fulfillment of a dream. We turn to the things to make us happy and bring us joy and bring us peace. And they never do. Because, sisters and brothers, the truth is, is that the joy that Naboth had was not in that he had this vineyard and he was out there laboring under the heat of the sun every day. The joy that he had was in the knowledge that this was a gift that he had been given and that he was caring for it. And he was fulfilling a purpose. And he was fulfilling a call. That was the joy that he had. That is what he strived for. That's why he refused to give it up. If it was simply about working the land, he could have done that in whatever land Ahab had given to him. But it was the joy in recognizing that he had a gift. And so he was going to care for it and nurture it and live into that gift. And so, sisters and brothers, when we find that we have that hole in our hearts or in our guts and we look around and we say that what we have is not good enough so we need all of this other stuff, let us take a step back and think about what we do have, even if it is small and puny, even if it seems nothing in the grand scheme of things or compared to what others have. If we take a step back and look at our lives and what we have, the people that we have, the situations that we have, even the things that we have, and if we look at those and all of that as God's gift to us to nurture to care for, to use for our lives. How much different would our lives be? And how much more joy could we find? Sisters and brothers, God has given us what we need in one way or another. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for better in our lives, but we should know that God's gifts are good and right and true, and they are what we need in this time and in this place. Let us find joy in the gifts that God has given us, the talents that God has given us, the work that God has given us, the people that God has given us, the situations that God has placed us in. Let us look at these things as gifts from, God's, gifts from God. They belong to God and they have been given to us so that we might fulfill our purpose and God's purpose in the world. Let us look at the world and the lives that we have as God's gift to us. And in that way, we will find joy. Because we can't help but be thankful for all that God is doing in us and to us and for us. And in that way, we will find peace because we know that God's gifts and God's love is good. In that way, we will find contentment and fulfillment and that hole that is within us will get smaller and smaller because we know that God is there. 
Sisters and brothers, let us give thanks to the Lord our God for all that God has given us. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God for our God is good. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God and be at peace. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, this morning we confess to you that sometimes we look at our lives and what you've given us and it's, it's not enough. It's not what you've given to others and we are jealous and we are envious. Help us to refocus our eyes and look again at what you have given us and what you are doing in our lives. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be filled with joy in your presence and help us to be filled with joy by your gifts. We thank you for your gifts, O Lord. We thank you for all that you are doing in us and in our lives. We thank you that you love us and that your gifts are good gifts for our good and for the good of the world. That we may seek to serve you and all of your people. Help us to use your gifts to be your hands and to serve you in this world. And help us in all things to find joy and peace in your presence. As we seek your joy and your peace in, in your presence, O oh Lord, we pray that you may guide us in our lives, that all of your children may feel your presence and your peace, that we may know your truth, and follow in your way. We pray that you may heal those who are sick and whose bodies and hearts and souls are broken. We pray that you may give shelter to those who are in need of it, especially on these hot and dangerous days. We pray that you may quench the thirst of the thirsty Feed the hungry. We pray that you may open our eyes so that we may see our sisters and our brothers and serve them and help them in your name, sharing your love in so many ways. We pray for safety for our community, O oh Lord, and that you may give us your peace. We pray for an end to warring and to violence and to hatred in this world, O oh Lord. We pray that we may all come to know you and your peace. And so we pray this morning, Lord, for the community of Orlando, particularly for the GLBT community there, O oh Lord, who have been attacked. We pray for the lives of the 50 lost for their families, and for the community, O oh Lord. We pray for an end to hatred and violence and war. We pray for you to guide us in our paths 
to seek your way. We pray that you may be with us, giving us hope, giving us guidance, leading us and teaching us your way. We pray all of these things in the name of your amazing Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.